Chapter forty six of A Hazard of New Fortunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The winter did not renew for Christine and Mela the social opportunity which the spring had offered. After the musicale at Mrs. Horn's, they both made their party call, as Mela said, in due season, but they did not find Mrs. Horn at home, and neither she nor Miss Vance came to see them after people returned to town in the fall. They tried to believe for a time that Mrs. Horn had not got their cards. This pretense failed them, and they fell back upon their pride, or rather Christine's pride. Mela had little but her good nature to avail her in any exigency, and if Mrs. Horn or Miss Vance had come to call after a year of neglect, she would have received them as amiably as if they had not lost a day in coming. But Christine had drawn a line beyond which they would not have been forgiven and she had planned the words and the behaviour with which she would have punished them if they had appeared then. Neither sister imagined herself in any wise inferior to them, but Christine was suspicious at least, and it was Mela who invented the hypothesis of the lost cards. As nothing happened to prove or disprove the fact, she said, "'I move we put Conrad up to gittin' it out of Miss Vance at some of their meetin's.' "'If you do,' said Christine, "'I'll kill you.' Christine, however, had the visits of Beaton to console her, and if these seemed to have no definite aim, she was willing to rest in the pleasure they gave her vanity. But Mela had nothing. Sometimes she even wished they were all back on the farm. "'It would be the best thing for both of you,' said Mrs. Dryfoos, in answer to such a burst of desperation. "'I don't think New York is any place for girls.' "'Well, what I hate, mother,' said Mela, "'is it don't seem to be any place for young men either.' She found this so good when she had said it that she laughed over it till Christine was angry. "'A body would think there'd never been any joke before.' "'I don't see it as a joke,' said Mrs. Dryfoos. "'It's the plain truth.' "'Oh, don't mind, mother,' said Mela. "'She's put out because her old Mr. Beaton hadn't been around for a couple of weeks.' If you don't watch out, that fellow'll give you the slip yet, Christine, after all your pains. Well, there ain't anybody to give you the slip, Mela, Christine clawed back. No, I ha'n't ever set my traps for anybody. This was what Mela said for want of a better retort, but it was not quite true. When Kendricks came with Beaton to call after her father's dinner, she used all her cunning to ensnare him, and she had him to herself as long as Beaton stayed. Dryfoos sent down word that he was not very well and had gone to bed. The novelty of Mela had worn off for Kendricks, and she found him, as she frankly told him, not half as entertaining as he was at Mrs. Horn's, but she did her best with him as the only flirtable material which had yet come to her hand. It would have been her ideal to have the young men stay till past midnight, and her father come downstairs in his stocking feet and tell them it was time to go but they made a visit of decorous brevity, and Kendricks did not come again. She met him afterward once, as she was crossing the pavement in Union Square, to get into her coupé, and made the most of him, but it was necessarily very little, and so he passed out of her life without having left any trace in her heart, though Mela had a heart that she would have put at the disposition of almost any young man that wanted it. Kendricks himself, Manhattan Cockney as he was, with scarcely more outlook into the average American nature than if he had been kept a prisoner in New York society all his days, 
perceived a property in her which forbade him as a man of conscience to trifle with her something earthly good and kind if it was simple and vulgar in revising his impressions of her it seemed to him that she would come even to better literary effect if this were recognized in her and it made her sacred in spite of her willingness to fool and to be fooled in her merely human quality after all he saw that she wished honestly to love and to be loved and the lure she threw out to that end seemed to him pathetic rather than ridiculous he could not join beaton in laughing at her and he did not like beaton's laughing at the other girl either it seemed to kendricks with the code of honour which he mostly kept to himself because he was a little ashamed to find there were so few others like it that if beaton cared nothing for the other girl and christine appeared simply detestable to kendricks he had better keep away from her and not give the impression he was in love with her he rather fancied that this was the part of a gentleman and he could not have penetrated to that aesthetic and moral complexity which formed the consciousness of a nature like beaton's and was chiefly a torment to itself he could not have conceived of the wayward impulses indulged at every moment in little things till the straight highway was traversed and well-nigh lost under their tangle to do whatever one likes is finally to do nothing that one likes even though one continues to do what one will but kendricks though a sage of twenty-seven was still too young to understand this beaton scarcely understood it himself perhaps because he was not yet twenty-seven he only knew that his will was somehow sick that it spent itself in caprices and brought him no happiness from the fulfilment of the most vehement wish but he was aware that his wishes grew less and less vehement he began to have a fear that some time he might have none at all it seemed to him that if he could once do something that was thoroughly distasteful to himself he might make a beginning in the right direction but when he tried this on a small scale it failed and it seemed stupid some sort of expiation was the thing he needed he was sure but he could not think of anything in particular to expiate a man could not expiate his temperament and his temperament was what beaton decided to be at fault he perceived that it went deeper even than fate would have gone he could have fulfilled an evil destiny and have done with it however terrible his trouble was that he could not escape from himself and for the most part he justified himself in refusing to try after he had come to that distinct understanding with alma leighton and experienced the relief it really gave him he thought for a while that if it had fallen out otherwise and she had put him in charge of her destiny he might have been better able to manage his own but as it was he could only drift and let all other things take their course it was necessary that he should go to see her afterward to show her that he was equal to the event but he did not go so often and he went rather oftener to the dryfooses it was not easy to see margaret vance except on society terms with much sneering and scorning he fulfilled the duties to mrs horn without which he knew he should be dropped from her list but one might go to many of her thursdays without getting many words from her niece beaton hardly knew whether he wanted many the girl kept the charm of her innocent stylishness but latterly she wanted to talk more about social questions than about the psychical problems that young people usually debate so personally son of the working people as he was beaton had never cared anything about such matters he did not know about them or wish to know 
he was perhaps too near them besides there was an embarrassment at least on her part concerning the dryfooses she was too high-minded to blame him for having tempted her to her failure with them by his talk about them but she was conscious of avoiding them in her talk she had decided not to renew the effort she had made in the spring because she could not do them good as fellow-creatures needing food and warmth and work and she would not try to befriend them socially she had a horror of any such futile sentimentality she would have liked to account to beaton in this way for a course which she suspected he must have heard their comments upon but she did not know quite how to do it she could not be sure how much or how little he cared for them some tentative approaches which she made toward explanation were met with such eager disclaim of personal interest that she knew less than before what to think and she turned the talk from the sisters to the brother whom it seemed she still continued to meet in their common work among the poor he seems very different she ventured oh quite said beaton he's the kind of person that you might suppose gave the catholics a hint for the cloistral life he's a cloistered nature the nature that atones and suffers for but he's awfully dull company don't you think i can never get anything out of him he's very much in earnest remorselessly we've got a profane and mundane creature there at the office who runs us all and it's shocking merely to see the contact of the tyro natures when fulkerson gets to joking dryfoos he likes to put his joke in the form of a pretense that dryfoos is actuated by a selfish motive that he has an eye to office and is working up a political interest for himself on the east side it's something inexpressible i should think so said miss vance with such lofty disapproval that beaton felt himself included in it for having merely told what caused it he could not help saying in natural rebellion well the man of one idea is always a little ridiculous when his idea is right she demanded a right idea can't be ridiculous oh i only said the man that held it was he's flat he has no relief no projection she seemed unable to answer and he perceived that he had silenced her to his own disadvantage it appeared to beaton that she was becoming a little too exacting for comfort in her idealism he put down the cup of tea he had been tasting and said in his solemn staccato i must go good-bye and got instantly away from her with an effect he had of having suddenly thought of something imperative he went up to mrs horn for a moment's hail and farewell and felt himself subtly detained by her through fugitive passages of conversation with half a dozen other people he fancied that at crises of this strange interview mrs horn was about to become confidential with him and confidential of all things about her niece she ended by not having palpably been so in fact the concern in her mind would have been difficult to impart to a young man and after several experiments mrs horn found it impossible to say that she wished margaret could somehow be interested in lower things than those which occupied her she had watched with growing anxiety the girl's tendency to various kinds of self-devotion she had dark hours in which she even feared her entire withdrawal from the world in a life of good works before now girls had entered the protestant sisterhoods which appeal so potently to the young and generous imagination and margaret was of just the temperament to be influenced by them 
during the past summer she had been unhappy at her separation from the cares that had engrossed her more and more as their stay in the city drew to an end in the spring and she had hurried her aunt back to town earlier in the fall than she would have chosen to come margaret had her correspondence among the working women whom she befriended mrs horn was at one time alarmed to find that margaret was actually promoting a strike of the buttonhole workers this of course had its ludicrous side in connection with a young lady in good society and a person of even so little humour as mrs horn could not help seeing it at the same time she could not help foreboding the worst from it she was afraid that margaret's health would give way under the strain and that if she did not go into a sisterhood she would at least go into a decline she began the winter with all such counteractive measures as she could employ at an age when such things weary she threw herself into the pleasures of society with the hope of dragging margaret after her and a sympathetic witness must have followed with compassion her course from ball to ball from reception to reception from parlour reading to parlour reading from musicale to musicale from play to play from opera to opera she tasted after she had practically renounced them the bitter and the insipid flavours of fashionable amusement in the hope that margaret might find them sweet and now at the end she had to own to herself that she had failed it was coming lent again and the girl had only grown thinner and more serious with the diversions that did not divert her from the baleful works of beneficence on which mrs horn felt that she was throwing her youth away margaret could have borne either alone but together they were wearing her out she felt it a duty to undergo the pleasures her aunt appointed for her but she could not forego the other duties in which she found her only pleasure she kept up her music still because she could employ it at the meetings for the entertainment and as she hoped the elevation of her working women but she neglected the other aesthetic interests which once occupied her and at the sight of beaton talking with her mrs horn caught at this hope that he might somehow be turned to account in reviving margaret's former interest in art she asked him if mr wetmore had his classes that winter as usual and she said she wished margaret could be induced to go again mr wetmore always said that she did not draw very well but that she had a great deal of feeling for it and her work was interesting she asked were the Leightons in town again and she murmured a regret that she had not been able to see anything of them without explaining why she said she had a fancy that if margaret knew miss leighton and what she was doing it might stimulate her perhaps she supposed miss leighton was still going on with her art beaton said oh yes he believed so but his manner did not encourage mrs horn to pursue her aims in that direction and she said with a sigh she wished he still had a class she always fancied that margaret got more good from his instruction than from any one else's he said that she was very good, but there was really nobody who knew half as much as Wetmore, or could make any one understand half as much. Mrs. Horn was afraid, she said, that Mr. Wetmore's terrible sincerity discouraged Margaret. He would not let her have any illusions about the outcome of what she was doing, and did not Mr. Beaton think that some illusion was necessary with young people? Of course, it was very nice of Mr. Wetmore to be so honest, but it did not always seem to be the wisest thing. 
she begged mr beaton to try to think of someone who would be a little less severe her tone assumed a deeper interest in the people who were coming up and going away and beaton perceived that he was dismissed he went away with vanity flattered by the sense of having been appealed to concerning margaret and then he began to chafe at what she had said of wetmore's honesty apropos of her wish that he still had a class himself did she mean confound her that he was insincere and would let miss vance suppose she had more talent than she really had the more beaton thought of this the more furious he became and the more he was convinced that something like it had been unconsciously if not consciously in her mind he framed some keen retorts to the general effect that with the atmosphere of illusion preserved so completely at home miss vance hardly needed it in her art studies having just determined never to go near mrs horn's thursdays again he decided to go once more in order to plant this sting in her capacious but somewhat callous bosom and he planned how he would lead the talk up to the point from which he should launch it in the meantime he felt the need of some present solace such as only unqualified worship could give him a cruel wish to feel his power in some direction where even if it were resisted it could not be overcome drove him on that a woman who was to beaten the embodiment of artificiality should intimate however innocently the innocence made it all the worse that he was less honest than wetmore whom he knew to be so much more honest was something that must be retaliated somewhere before his self-respect could be restored it was only five o'clock and he went on uptown to the dryfooses though he had been there only the night before last he asked for the ladies and mrs mandel received him the young ladies are downtown shopping she said but i am very glad of the opportunity of seeing you alone mr beaton you know i lived several years in europe yes said beaton wondering what that could have to do with her pleasure in seeing him alone i believe so he involuntarily gave his words the questioning inflection you have lived abroad too and so you won't find what i am going to ask so strange mr beaton why do you come so much to this house mrs mandel bent forward with an aspect of ladylike interest and smiled beaton frowned why do i come so much yes why do i excuse me mrs mandel but will you allow me to ask why you ask oh certainly there's no reason why i shouldn't say for i wish you to be very frank with me i ask because there are two young ladies in this house and in a certain way i have to take the place of a mother to them i needn't explain why you know all the people here and you understand i have nothing to say about them but i should not be speaking to you now if they were not at all rather helpless people they do not know the world they have come to live in here and they cannot help themselves or one another but you do know it mr beaton and i am sure you know just how much or how little you mean by coming here you are either interested in one of these young girls or you are not if you are i have nothing more to say if you are not mrs mandel continued to smile but the smile had grown more perfunctory and it had an icy gleam beaton looked at her with surprise that he gravely kept to himself 
he had always regarded her as a social nullity with a kind of pity to be sure as a civilized person living among such people as the dryfooses but not without a humorous contempt he had thought of her as mandel and sometimes as old mandel though she was not half a score of years his senior and was still well on the sunny side of forty he reddened and then turned an angry pallor excuse me again mrs mandel do you ask this from the young ladies certainly not she said with the best temper and with something in her tone that convicted beaton of vulgarity in putting his question of her authority in the form of a sneer as i have suggested they would hardly know how to help themselves at all in such a matter i have no objection to saying that i ask it from the father of the young ladies of course in and for myself i should have no right to know anything about your affairs i assure you the duty of knowing isn't very pleasant the little tremor in her clear voice struck beaton as something rather nice i can very well believe that mrs mandel he said with a dreamy sadness in his own he lifted up his eyes and looked into hers if i told you that i cared nothing about them in the way you intimate then i should prefer to let you characterize your own conduct in continuing to come here for the year past as you have done and tacitly leading them on to infer differently they both mechanically kept up the fiction of plurality in speaking of christine but there was no doubt in the mind of either which of the young ladies the other meant a good many thoughts went through beaton's mind and none of them were flattering he had not been unconscious that the part he had played toward this girl was ignoble and that it had grown meaner as the fancy which her beauty had at first kindled in him had grown cooler he was aware that of late he had been amusing himself with her passion in a way that was not less than cruel not because he wished to do so but because he was listless and wished nothing he rose in saying i might be a little more lenient than you think mrs mandel but i won't trouble you with any palliating theory i will not come any more he bowed and mrs mandel said of course it's only your action that i am concerned with she seemed to him merely triumphant and he could not conceive what it had cost her to nerve herself up to her too easy victory he left mrs mandel to a far harder lot than had fallen to him and he went away hating her as an enemy who had humiliated him at a moment when he particularly needed exalting it was really very simple for him to stop going to see christine dryfoos but it was not at all simple for mrs mandel to deal with the consequences of his not coming he only thought how lightly she had stopped him and the poor woman whom he had left trembling for what she had been obliged to do embodied for him the conscience that accused him of unpleasant things by heavens this is piling it up he said to himself through his set teeth realizing how it had happened right on top of that stupid insult from mrs horn now he should have to give up his place on every other week he could not keep that under the circumstances even if some pretense were not made to get rid of him he must hurry and anticipate any such pretense he must see fulkerson at once he wondered where he should find him at that hour he thought with a bitterness so real that it gave him a kind of tragical satisfaction how certainly he could find him a little later at mrs leighton's 
and Fulkerson's happiness became an added injury. The thing had, of course, come about at just the wrong time. There never had been a time when Beaton needed money more, when he had spent what he had and what he expected to have so recklessly. He was in debt to Fulkerson personally and officially for advance payments of salary. The thought of sending money home made him break into a scoffing laugh, which he turned into a cough in order to deceive the passers. What sort of a face should he go with to Fulkerson and tell him that he renounced his employment on every other week? And what should he do when he had renounced it? Take pupils, perhaps. Open a class? A lurid conception of a class conducted on those principles of shameless flattery at which Mrs. Horn had hinted. He believed now she had meant to insult him, presented itself. Why should not he act upon the suggestion? He thought with loathing for the whole race of women, dabblers in art. How easy the thing would be, as easy as to turn back now and tell that old fool's girl that he loved her and rake in half his millions. Why should he not do that? No one else cared for him and at a year's end, probably, one woman would be like another as far as the love was concerned, and probably he should not be more tired if the woman were Christine Dryfoos than if she were Margaret Vance. He kept Alma Leighton out of the question, because, at the bottom of his heart, he believed that she must be forever unlike every other woman to him. The tide of his confused and aimless reverie had carried him far downtown, he thought, but when he looked up from it to see where he was, he found himself on Sixth Avenue, only a little below Thirty-Ninth Street, very hot and blown. That idiotic fur coat was stifling. He could not possibly walk down to Eleventh. He did not want to walk even to the elevated station at Thirty-Fourth. He stopped at the corner to wait for a surface car, and fell again into his bitter fancies. After a while he roused himself and looked up the track, but there was no car coming. He found himself beside a policeman who was lazily swinging his club by its thong from his wrist. "'When do you suppose a car will be along?' he asked, rather in a general sarcasm of the absence of the cars than in any special belief that the policeman could tell him. The policeman waited to discharge his tobacco juice into the gutter. "'In about a week,' he said nonchalantly. "'What's the matter?' asked Beaton, wondering what the joke could be. "'Strike,' said the policeman. His interest in Beaton's ignorance seemed to overcome his contempt of it. "'Knocked off everywhere this morning except Third Avenue and one or two cross-town lines.' He spat again and kept his bulk at its incline over the gutter to glance at a group of men on the corner below. They were neatly dressed and looked something better than working men. They had a holiday air of being in their best clothes.' "'Some of the strikers?' asked Beaton. The policeman nodded. "'Any trouble yet?' "'There won't be any trouble till we begin to move the cars,' said the policeman. Beaton felt a sudden turn of his rage toward the men whose action would now force him to walk five blocks and mount the stairs of the elevated station. "'If you'd take out eight or ten of those fellows,' he said ferociously, "'and set them up against a wall and shoot them, you'd save a great deal of bother.' "'I guess we shan't have to shoot much,' said the policeman, still swinging his locust. "'Anyway, we shan't begin it. If it comes to a fight, though,' he said, with a look at the men under the scooping rim of his helmet, 
We can drive the whole six thousand of them into the East River without pulling a trigger. Are the six thousand in it? About. What do the infernal fools expect to live on? The interest of their money, I suppose, said the officer, with a grin of satisfaction in his irony. It's got to run its course. Then they'll come back with their heads tied up and their tails between their legs and plead to be taken on again. If I was a manager of the road, said Beaton, thinking of how much he was already inconvenienced by the strike, and obscurely connecting it as one of the series with the wrongs he had suffered at the hands of Mrs. Horn and Mrs. Mandel, I would see them starve before I'd take them back, every one of them. Well, said the policeman impartially, as a man might whom the companies allowed to ride free, but who had made friends with a good many drivers and conductors in the course of his free riding. I guess that's what the roads would like to do if they could, but the men are too many for them, and there ain't enough other men to take their places. No matter, said Beaton severely, they can bring in men from other places. Oh, they'll do that fast enough, said the policeman. A man came out of the saloon on the corner where the strikers were standing, noisy drunk, and they began, as they would have said, to have some fun with him. The policeman left Beaton and sauntered slowly down toward the group, as if in the natural course of an afternoon ramble. On the other side of the street, Beaton could see another officer sauntering up from the block below. Looking up and down the avenue, so silent of its horse-car bells, he saw a policeman at every corner. It was rather impressive. End of chapter 46